0: Hi, welcome back to our view where we talk about life, travel, and real estate. And I'm Lisa Richard Hernandez, and today I have with me my husband George Hernandez. We have been married since June 2016. Right? Is <laughs> June? I don't know. It took you a little while to figure <laughs> that one out. I guess we've we've only been married for like what three years? Yeah. So yeah. Well, we did actually forget our anniversary this year, which was, I guess. You know, like, kind of not really bad, but thankfully we both forgot it because...
1: Every day's an anniversary. That's
0: right, because we're always so happy. All right, so um, I always refer to you in all of my social media and everything as my hot Cuban husband. (laughs) Um, So, uh, like, sometimes people don't even know
1: that you're Cuban. They always, like, I don't know. I got mistaken more for Italian than Cuban, believe it or not. Really? Yes. My whole life. Well... I don't know.
0: And a lot of people don't know that you're fluent in Spanish also.
1: No, no saben eso.
0: Oh, whatever that means. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, um, I love, I want to tell you a little bit about George and his life and who he is uh, because he's going to be my co-host on a lot of our shows because he's my travel planner and the RV driver. Um, So tell our audience about this is the story that I always love when you tell um, about how your parents came from Cuba and a little bit about the story about your dad. Like I always love, especially with all the stuff that's going on in politics and I never really want to talk about politics, but about, you know, immigrant, illegal immigrants coming in and things like that. And what your, your take is on that and how your, how your family came to come to the United States. So tell, tell us kind of that story.
1: So my story starts in 1964 when I was born. Uh, the year I was born, or as soon as my dad found out my mom was pregnant with me, he decided that he was gonna get us out of Cuba one way or another, but he was gonna do it the right way legally. And he started immediately applying for visas to leave the country, which, of course, as we all know, is extremely difficult to leave Cuba. But he got it done. So what happened was, when he applied for the visa, the government told him that they would grant him a visa for the three of us to go to Spain. You could not come directly to the United States at that time, This is 1964. But in order for him to get those three visas, he had to go to a work camp, quote-unquote. But basically what a work camp in Cuba at that time was prison. He had to go to prison for two years and cut sugarcane all throughout Cuba. So my mother would go visit him at whatever prison they told her he was in for that week And by the time she got there to go see him, well, he's been transferred to another one because all the sugar cane's been cut here. So that went on for two years. My dad, again, was in prison for two years. My mom was chasing him from place to place. She saw him every once in a while.
0: Oh, wait. Were you already born then?
1: Yes. I was born... Yes, I was born at that point. So... um. So he did his two years, and at the end of the two years, he went to the consulate or the embassy or whatever it was to get the visas. Well, when he got there, the people at the place told him, well, we in those two years, we've had some issues, and we only have two visas, one for your wife and one for your son. So, you know, you can't leave. So my dad said, well, as long as they have their visas, I'm going to get them off the island, and I'll get off the island one way or another. So this went on for, from what I recall, six months, maybe, well, yeah, six months. Um, At the end of this whole process, again, so now it's been two years and six months, he goes back to the consulate one more time, and the guy still tells him there's only two visas, you know, you can't leave your family behind, and how are you going to send your wife and kid to Spain When, you know, you've got nobody there, you have to stay. And my dad just stuck to his guns and said, I will send them off and I will find a way off this island. So at the last second, the gentleman slid him the visas. And when my dad looked in the envelope, there were three visas. They had his visa the whole time. They were just trying to convince him to stay. And, uh... So he got the three visas, he got all the paperwork done that he had to get done. In order to fly to Spain uh, and to, to go live there, you had to have a sponsor. So his sponsor was a, a, a friend that he made a couple of years earlier and then they ended up in the same uh, work camp. And this gentleman was a pharmacist. I mean, the man never did hard labor in his life. So my dad helped him out tremendously and, you know, picked up his share of the the work and not all of it, but helped him out. So when he got to Spain first, he told my dad that he would sponsor him. So we went to Spain and we lived there for three years. So by this time, it was nineteen sixty. or so yeah 68 Um, so we lived in Spain for three years in that time Molina my dad's sponsor filed all his paperwork and got into the United States and he told my dad again come to the United States I'll sponsor you so my dad immediately started the paperwork from Spain to get a visa to come to the United States and he had a sponsor, and he got all his paperwork done. And that took several years also. And in that time, my brother was born. My brother was born in 1970.
0: Oh, so Jamie was born in Spain?
1: Yes, Jamie was born in Spain. Oh, okay. So um, now we, he did all the paperwork, got us all to the United States from Spain with all the paperwork. And the minute we landed in the United States, he started working and immediately started applying for citizenship. And, you know, at that time it wasn't, oh, you're here, you're a citizen, you get everything. It it was, you have to fill out the paperwork. It took years. Um, But my dad always wanted to do it the right way. And he wanted it to be legal and bound and just... He believed in doing everything the right way. So I think it took another, I want to say, five years from the time we landed in the United States to the time that he went for his citizenship. And, you know, it's just amazing what he did for me and my family.
0: Yeah, so, like, you didn't even mention when you, your mom and dad, left Cuba... You couldn't take, they couldn't take anything with them. Nothing. Like, I can't even imagine going barely to the grocery store with a two-year-old without, like, an extra bag of clothing and change of clothes and a bunch of extra shit. But, like, literally to be
1: nope, just
0: that. all you take is what you have on your back. Like, leave everything. And what did your dad do in Cuba before um, the communism took over?
1: My dad did... A- number of jobs he was a mechanic he worked at a grocery store he um he went to college he had an education and eventually him and my uncle opened a um home oil distribution company back in in cuba everything was run on oil um so they would deliver oil to homes and um that was their business and they were doing very well. My grandfather had a big, beautiful farm before Castro took over. And, you know, they were doing very well for themselves. I've heard many wonderful stories from my dad before Castro of how beautiful Cuba was. And, you know, Cuba before Castro was the place to be in the Caribbean. All the movie stars hung out in Cuba. The, the original Copacabana was in Cuba. It was, you know, that was the place to be. And then when Castro took over, it it obviously died out and it, it's, you know, communism took over. But, you know, my dad was doing very well before Castro. So that's...
0: It's, it's so interesting to me. Like, we've talked to your parents and they, like, we were planning a trip to Cuba... On a cruise, it was going to be the first cruise into Cuba out of Charleston, and then they canceled all the cruises or, or trips to Cuba, which I'm kind of bummed that we missed that, but at the same time, like, you know, it makes me feel bad that we would go there, and tourists have completely different money than actual the Cuban people do. So our tourism is more helping the government than it would be even helping the actual people of Cuba is all that
1: right. That's correct. Yeah. There's uh there's tourist money and there's uh local actual money. different currency. Right. And locals cannot get caught with the tourist money or else they get in significant trouble. Um it's just you know, and it's kind of sad because I think people have a misconception of Cuba that everything's okay and Everything's good. And it it really isn't. It's still...
0: I know. We talked to so many. Terrible
1: and so run down.
0: Cuban friends that go back, that have gone back. And um, we always just hear stories about how hard it is. There's just nothing there. Yeah.
1: But going back to my dad's story, you know, he he had a mission. He was going to get us out. He was looking for a better life. And he did it. And when he got to the United States, you know, I remember my dad working three, four jobs at a time. He was doing whatever he had to do to make this dream come true, and, and he did. And I always admired him for that and I'll always love him for that. And you know, it, it's just it's amazing when you set your mind to to do something how you can do it. You know, he left his home country with nothing and came to the United States and made a life for himself and for me and for my brother. And it, it's just, it, it's, to me, I always get goosebumps and touch, you know, it just, it touches me every time I tell that story.
0: Yeah. it's it's a great story. <clears throat> and, uh, I mean, that's what we talk about a lot in these podcasts is, you know, things that are inspirational and, and make you think about things. And, you know, so the idea of, it would just be so like for most people that were born in the United States, and you know we think we have a bad life or whatever. I mean, just literally to imagine leaving everything that you have and walking away to a foreign country like that alone just is so scary, you know. And then when you went to school, you didn't even speak English. How old were you that in kindergarten, first grade?
1: No, I started in second grade. By the time I got here, I was ready for second grade, and here I am don't speak a word of English. And they sat me down in a classroom. And luckily the the we moved to uh, Sleepy Hollow, New York, and there was a, a significant Latin community there. So there were enough kids in school that spoke Spanish that helped me get by. And you know, and I picked up the language quick and, you know, attribute a lot of my English to Sesame Street. <laughs> I watched a lot of Sesame Street. I watched a lot of Sesame Street, too. <laughs> so, yeah, well, it's a lot different when you speak the language.
0: Yeah, usually I think I might have learned my Spanish from Sesame <laughs> right. Street. It might be the opposite. Now they have Dora the Explorer, by the way. Yeah, they've got... That's kind of later, past your time. Yeah. Uh, so, um, after... Like, you grew up in New York, Sleepy Hollow. That's always kind of like... Uh, well, honestly, when we first started dating, I looked at your Facebook profile and it said you were from Sleepy Hollow. And I was like, oh, he's so funny. I didn't even know it was like a real place.
1: No, there is a true... It truly is called Sleepy Hollow. It was a great place. I wouldn't change it for anything. It was a, such an incredible place to grow up. I mean, our Halloweens were unmatched because... That was Sleepy Hollow, literally the home of the Headless Horseman. Everything was Headless Horseman. Our school was Sleepy Hollow High School. Our mascot was the Headless Horseman. We had the Headless Horseman Diner, the Headless Horseman (laughs) Bicycle Shop. We had one of the uh, apartment buildings that my parents lived in was the Van Tassel from The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, the Van Tassel family. Um, It was just the old Dutch church was, it, it is in Sleepy Hollow. It's, it's actually become quite a, a tourist location because of the, the TV show Sleepy Hollow, which I don't know if it's on TV anymore or not. I think it died off a while ago. But when that show was in its peak, my buddies would call me and you know, whenever I talked to them and they would tell me that, Man, they are shipping people in by the busload to Sleepy Hollow (laughs) because they just want to see it. They want to take pictures. And it's awesome. It was great for the economy of Sleepy Hollow. And it it deserves it. It's a beautiful, beautiful town.
0: Well, thank you, George, baby, for being here with me today and telling us the story about your family and how they came to the United States. It's very inspirational. And I love your comments about... Anything you set your mind to or believe that you could do, you can do. And that's just, like, hopefully a takeaway for all of you. The biggest compliment we can get from you guys is to share this on your social media and with your friends and family and follow us on Instagram at rviewpodcast. That's the letter R, View Podcast on Instagram. Or for, um, if you want to send me an email or I have questions, info at lisarichard.com. And George, tell them what your Instagram is so they can follow you with your RV
1: information. Mine is RV from the road. That's RV and then view from the road. There's just one V. RV. Right. It's a play By of E-W. words. RV. All right. But the V is part of view. <laughs> we get it. RV from the road.
0: That's right. So- Come see me. <laughs> Thanks, my friends, and you guys have a a great day.
1: Bye.